for joining us for another episode of Jackman Radio. Uh, we are very excited today. We are joined by filmmaker, author, actor, activist, poet, storyteller, and truth seeker, Mr. Sean Stone. Sean, how are you today, sir? I'm doing all right. Thank you. Good. Glad to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Um, so just getting right into it, you had a really um, unique experience as a young you know, a young person being on Hollywood movie sets. And this is something you touched on, um, I think, in the trailer of, of your new documentary series that I haven't been able to watch yet, but I'm looking forward to watching part one called Best Kept Secret. Um, how, how is it that Hollywood and films and movies shape perception of our society? And, and what was the front row seat to that like? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, it's it, it shapes perception because they call it magic for a reason, right? Uh, people put on, how do you say, people work behind the scenes and they bring a lot of energy and intentionality and they create an atmosphere, right? So you go into a, a movie theater or now you go home and you stream on your television. And in the old days, it was much more, there was actually a great book written about it in the turn of the century about how the movie house was like the new church essentially you know the idea was that it was that ritual environment of dark darkened darkened house with a little bit of light you know almost like candle lit right and uh the attention then goes to the projector just you know from the projector to the to the to the wall the same way that in the old days the attention was on let's say you know the priest or the minister whoever's speaking to you and then you you know basically you get enwrapped you get to create a sense of a rapture you become um engage and then the music that's why church oftentimes uses music as well right and creates that um that emotional experience so there was, was already understood at the turn of the century when movies just began in like the, the 20s um this was already being understood that it was an art form that was essentially going to in a way have that kind of potential to capture the imagination and create new gods right so throughout the 20th century we saw that we saw um the way that movie stars, well, the nat nature of a star, right? It was like, you know, this idea that it's it's untouchable, that it's um, projected onto a large screen, become larger than life, these personalities, right? And so this whole energy that 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 life form that came that get that was shaped through the twentieth century, um, how do you say it? It sort of it created cultures that became that, that sometimes subcultures, but oftentimes mainstream cultures that influenced our very nature, our, our reality, right? And people didn't necessarily understand that the cinema, the movies, and then, you know, then to the smaller form, the television set was basically being designed to shape worldviews. You know, it literally was being shaped. It was designed to shape belief systems, to influence lifestyles, right? And it was like, you know, we, we think about the decades that you go, decade to decade and you look to movies oftentimes to reflect on you know what were the the major cultural trends and beliefs and desires and whatnot and then all of a sudden you get to the postmodern 2000s and 2010s in particular and all of a sudden it's like they took those same spell casting uh initiatives from you know from a limited experience of a movie or a tv series into the realm of social media. And that's why the reality show culture was so important because now it was about shaping, it was about shifting 
the star to the level of, hey, everyone can be a star. Everyone, you know, everyone can have their own. Now to this present day, everyone can have our own podcast, have our own outlet. So there's a very positive aspect to social media, which is to say, we no longer need to look to the newscaster or the spellcaster on the screen to say, that's the one that's going to shape my reality anymore and create the mythologies for me anymore. We can do it ourselves. We can become our own moderators of the media. We can become our own commentators on media. We can become our own stars. So in a way, at one level, they tried to influence it, you know, with reality show culture and the Kardashian culture and all that. But now we're at a space, I would, I would say by definitely by 2020 and now where it's like, shoot, they've unleashed the beast. They've basically unleashed the beast. That is to say every one of us becoming aware that we don't, we, we, we now can become our own orchestrators of perception and reality. We don't have to wait for someone to tell it to us anymore the way that it was done in the old days. That's very true. Yeah. And it's, it's awesome being able to have your own podcast and your own um, forum to voice ideas and opinions and have conversations like we're having right now. And uh, it seems like we're kind of coming on a, a turning point with the war on terror, um, you know, having m most of our forces leaving Afghanistan, probably not the CIA, but certainly our, our armed forces. And you, you touch on this in another great documentary you made called Hollywood DC about Hollywood's relationship with the Pentagon and how essentially if a film like Zero Dark Thirty or um, Lone Survivor or Hurt Locker or something like that wants to have access to military hardware or film somewhere where there's soldiers or something like that, they got to get their sides and their, some of the stuff in their script from the Pentagon or Langley. That's right. That's right. Um, that's just the surface level. The Langley had their CIA had set up their office by like the mid 90s to make sure that any script that touched upon the CIA was vetted, right? Thoroughly vetted uh, TV shows, you know, CIA, FBI, you name it. There's always this sort of, and that's why you can notice a lot of, look, I'm, I'm a patriot. I believe in the constitution, but I also see how crooked our government can be and government officials and politicians and the deep state can be. So that's why I've always, you know, called it out. You know, my father called it out with films like JFK and Nixon. So, you know, it's like, it's not, it's not unpatriotic to criticize CIA or whatnot and to say, you know, they were involved in all kinds of illicit enterprises, and especially just look at the, the drug trafficking. I mean, there's some great books written about CIA's involvement in everything from heroin uh, in the Golden Triangle in the Vietnam era to um, the Afghanistan in the 80s when, when we were fighting the Soviets and, you know, all of a sudden the, the heroin traffic that goes, go, you know, goes gangbusters out of Afghanistan. And then, uh, you know, Contras, uh, Contras and other factions uh, shipping cocaine to America, you know, very much under CIA and other in deep state auspices, you know, basically he's overseeing it. Because if you really think about how this works, and we get into this a little bit in, in Best, uh, Best Kept Secret in the docuseries, you'll see in uh, upcoming chapters, we, we kind of show how human trafficking, drug trafficking, these are all ways of financing. Um, the deep state apparatus, right? I mean, this is billions, if not trillions of dollars you're talking about annually, right? In terms of money that's being laundered through, you know, maybe through offshore, but ultimately goes right through Citibank. You know, the one of the good thing Maxine Waters did was when she outed Citibank, and I remember a few, 10, 20, 30 years ago, she outed at Citibank as laundering drug money, right? So it's like, yeah, this, this is just very much how our system works. Uh, while the, there's the, above ground economy and then there's the underground economy 
And oftentimes that underground economy fuels the above ground economy. So the, the major mafia players are, are long-term politicians, you know, the, the, the guys who are in it for, for decades, right? And, and then they're lackeys within the so-called bureaucracy, you know, the FBI, CIA, these kind of agencies that are more, you know, career uh, positions. So uh, to go back to your question about like, yeah, Hollywood being influenced, it's just, again, it's perception because, you know, you don't see stories really a little bit here and there, you know, outing CIA operations, black operations, but for the most part, they're scared. You know, the Hollywood storytellers are very scared of doing anything that's going to upset the establishment, you know, and how things run. They don't really, you know, occasionally they'll do a story where it's like, you know, there's a corrupt CIA guy, but it's almost like it's always it's the rogue CIA agent. If you notice, you know, he's the the rogue CIA guy that's that's you know working with the Russians or selling drugs or trafficking or whatever it is. But they uh, they never really point the finger at the establishment itself as being corrupt. Yeah, I, I started um, chapter one of best kept secret today, and um, that dealt with the Franklin scandal. Now, you know, obviously with the rise of like Trump and Q and all that stuff, like human trafficking was brought out and child trafficking was brought out to the forefront and a lot of people's consciousness and awareness who had never known anything about it or heard about it before. But what I like to do is really when people are interested and want to learn about like real legit instances of elite trafficking, child trafficking, pedophilia, I always point them to the Franklin scandal. So if you could talk a little bit about how you first heard about the Franklin scandal and what exactly that was. Absolutely. So, you know, before Epstein, there was the Franklin scandal and most people probably never heard about it because again, this was a day, this was in the, this took, so let's, I'll say I, I found that about it when I was in college and I was just reading a lot about, you know, my gateway drug was sort of like William Blum's book about the books about the CIA, like Killing Hope, uh, exploring all the various um, foreign policy decisions of, of each administration and, you know, overthrowing governments for, you know, for corporate interests, that kind of thing. And this uh, is at Princeton, right? Well, this is before Princeton. This Princeton. is when I was just in high school, I was reading this okay. stuff. And then John Perkins's book is another great way to understand economic influence. This is Confessions of an Economic Hitman and how, you know, he was basically working for various um, large financial institutions in the U.S. that were working essentially with World Bank and IMF interests um, in different countries. And then if like those leaders didn't go along with it, they would be sometimes assassinated. You know, they would die in a plane crash, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, pretty easy to rig, pretty easy to rig a plane to come down. That's actually what happened to the investigator in the Franklin scandal, Caradori. His plane, he had a private right. jet. He was investigating um, the Franklin scandal, which was in Nebraska, basically the head. Uh, Larry King was, I think he was in the head of the RNC at one point, chairman of the RNC. He was basically a mer very prominent um, political figure, a black politician in the Republican Party. And and um, and his his uh, his credit union that he was on the board of uh, in, in Nebraska got raided for some kind of fraud, fraudulent activity and whatnot. But what was deeper was that he had been accused by all these kids of being a pedophile. And and, and it came out like, and so the guy that was headed, the, the state Senate wanted to investigate it. So Caradori was his name, he was the investigator. He basically went to these kids, he got all this information. And then he said he had something that was basically gonna like, just blow the lid off this whole thing. It was obviously more than just 
Larry King. It was a whole network of businessmen and it connected. I mean, these kids, these kids were saying these kids alleged they were being flown to Washington, DC and pimped out in DC to politicians. So you're talking much bigger than just Nebraska, right? Well, the investigator's plane just breaks up in the sky and literally the investigators go, well, we don't understand how a plane just falls out, like not just falls out of the sky, it literally breaks up out of the sky, you know, either it's blown up or dismantled in some way that it just comes apart, scattered wreckage over, over a mile or something. So anyway, the point is that um, the scandal is, is important because the kid's testimony is, you know, it, it indicates satanic practices within elite circles, you know, the kind of things that people say is it's the, the satanic panic. Well, there are a lot of kids, you know, who, who were saying this and Nick Bryant picked up that investigation and I interviewed him and he's part of this documentary. He's a very good um, researcher and, and, uh, and, and writer of the Franklin Scandal book. But I, before Bryant's book, I had read John DeCamp's book and DeCamp was a former Vietnam vet who was very close to William Colby, the former head of the CIA. So this was not like uh, somebody, you know, just who was fascinated. Oh, I'm acute. He's like, you know, they think it's all like cute paranoia. Like, no, this is based in, you know, a lot of people over years trying to get the word out, trying to make sense of a very dark reality that, you know, kills people if they get too close to it. So that would seem like a good play entryway. I think the Franklin scandal is a good entryway for anyone who just thinks and dismisses the uh, allegations of, you know, child abuse and whatnot. I mean, Epstein obviously will get to Epstein in later chapters, as house has house as how political compromise works. Right. And Colby, Colby told the camp too. Hey, man, watch out! You're you're wading into some serious waters here. And to have to have a head of the CIA tell tell you as a friend, hey, man, look out! Like, you're, this yeah. is even kind of above me. It's like, well, Colby, you know, Colby was interviewed. You'll see his interview in the uh, in the doc in the in the uh, chapter one. Colby's. Uh, testimony of what he says basically Eric, was colby the, the one who was who drowned or did he was that was that a different uh, cia that was colby that? Yeah. Probably, was, yeah yeah he was probably killed yeah he went fishing never came back <laughs> yeah he, he <laughs> left food on the table and just went out uh, on his you know on his little kayak uh, no i don't know if you guys know this was john decamp part of the phoenix project in vietnam i think so like, yeah special that operations was, that was what we under again that was what i understood that he was somehow involved and he knew his whole thing was he knew Bob Carey, Robert Carey, who was a special forces guy. Yep. Senator, Senator from Carey, Nebraska. Bob Carey, who was probably better than John Carey. Bob <laughs> Carey was essentially um, going to, going to run at one point. And I think the camp kind of exposed some things that he had done some, uh, some of the dirty, dirty, you know, killing of civilians kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so the camp, certainly didn't get close to Colby who was running the Phoenix program. I would have loved to have interviewed John or gotten to know him, uh, but he didn't get close to Colby just from being an outsider. It, it wouldn't work that way. Right. And, and in, in the Franklin scandal, the, the camp book, I also read that too fairly recently. Uh, there's photographs of Larry King with Ronald Reagan's daughter. And he threw these, you know, really highfalutin parties for Republican insiders and sang the national anthem at two of the RNC meetings in, in the eighties. So conventions. conventions, yeah, he was definitely a very well connected guy and he was connected to that lobbyist who later um, committed suicide in a Boston hotel, Craig Spence. Spence was an interesting figure. Um, yeah. Brian talks a little bit about that. I mean, 
again, it's just, this was a world that, you know, in the eighties, this was going on. And um, it would be amazing to just try to figure out if you put together like a map and figured out, you know, who all these people are and how they, who, who they all connect to. I mean, Epstein was coming up at that time too, more in the New York circles, but I would just, you know, be amazing to actually, you know, if you had the NSA ability to, to spy and monitor and you actually wanted to out this whole corrupt, you know, network of, uh, you know, political compromise, blackmail, pedophilia, uh, you know, illicit drug trafficking, uh, you name it, right? You just wanted to like put a web together. NSA would be the place to go, right? They, they could map this out in like two minutes. That's that's what uh, uh, Robert David Steelman was saying up until yeah. he died. He was saying that like, look, man, I know he was had lines into Trump's people. He was he was in with uh, Bill Binney and you know just trying to well, say, Binney, look, man, we can get these people. Binney, Binney's Binney's always been an important figure. Tom Drake, Binney, um, Kirk Weeby, these guys are former NSA insiders, right? They right. Binny was one of the highest level whistleblowers to come out and say, look, he designed a program, ThinThread, that was designed to track and monitor terrorists, you know, before 9-11. And the NSA didn't want it. The NSA said, no, it's, uh, it's whatever they wanted to give the excuse for. They didn't want that ability to actually track the so-called bad guys. They wanted the blanket uh, approach that they've taken, which is to basically monitor and surveil all, all the U.S. citizens, right? And the whole planet, probably. So that tells you everything, you see. It's not, the surveillance is not about catching bad guys. It's about keeping tabs on, you know, all of us. Yeah, I mean, they had phone calls from the hijackers. They had the Malaysian summit in 2000 with two of the future hijackers. Bin Laden had a satellite phone, which they had a, they had a lead on, so... Um, it's not like they didn't know where he was or what he was up to. And uh, that yeah. Was, yeah, that was a whole other thread. The uh, FBI basically not being told by CIA when the hijackers showed up right in America. Um, and I interviewed one of those FBI agents who, you know, there's a great book called Connecting the Dots. I would suggest people to go into that book if they want a, uh, analysis of how basically the FBI, that the FBI unit that was supposed to be watching these you know terrorists that became the hijackers uh how the cia misled them essentially and intentionally made it such that they couldn't do their job so you have to ask yourself why would the cia do that isn't that where you, you run into characters like Kofor black black's an interesting one um yeah i mean again it's like you know take your pick and follow that guy right Right. I, um, so it's not everybody. See, the thing is this, not everybody is what you find. What you find is like you start to make accusations or you start to like really like try to figure stuff out. Not everybody is in on it. That's right. Way, right? Yeah. Some people, they really just, how do you say, it's like some people are chosen to be in certain positions. And I say this because I, like I just I just was with Giuliani for you know a period of time and just interview asking about 9/11 and like he really he never really looked into the, the the broader picture beyond what was given to them what was fed to them right so it's not to say that like because you know his you know his worldview is yeah the terrorists had motivation so you know why would you know Bush and company do that but it's like if you were an investigator and you actually 
you know, were looking at this case, you could find all kinds of evidence. But if you're not positioned to investigate it, most people just they don't want to have to know. They don't want to have to to look right. It's it's very dark. It's very it's very ugly. And so all it takes is a few people around you to feed you false information or to give you, you know, whatever the CIA perspective or and you go with it because you don't you don't necessarily realize that they're CIA, or that they're operatives. So that's, I think, a big aspect of this is it's not always it's not always that everyone is in the know as much as it is. Most people don't want to know unless it's their task and their job to find out. Right. Because let's be honest, when you start, it's just like, if, you know, if you're making movies in Hollywood. Right. And it's like, man, you just want to make your movies. You don't ask too many questions. Yeah. You, know, you know, you want to be like, yeah, do I want to find out if my boss is a, a satanic pedophile? You know, or, you know, if, if, if my boss is, you know, is, is uh, you know, raping uh, women. I mean, it's like you don't you don't ask too many questions. Right. Unless it's in your face. You're just like most people just want to do their job. Right. They don't want to ask the hard questions. They don't want to look at the people around them and say, unless it comes up, you know, by chance, most of the time it's like you don't want to look into those dark corners. With with JFK, it's really it's interesting. You played um, Jasper Garrison, you know Jim Garrison's son in real life, and uh, ultimately Kevin Costner went on to probably from his experience in that film, questioning the Kennedy assassination, um, and even interviewing uh, or trying to interview E. Howard Hunt on his deathbed. Um, ha have you had a chance? Did you ever have a chance to follow up with Kevin Costner? What was that experience like? You know, having him play Jim Garrison, this real person. You know, from the case, and you played his son. Um, what, what what did you take from because Co Coster does seem genuinely curious about it. Oh, I mean, I well, Coster. I mean, Coster isn't someone that I would have any reason to follow up with. I mean, I don't think that he particularly had had more knowledge or insight than what was given to him by my father. You know, about the script. Right. Okay. So. You know, there would be no reason to follow up necessarily. There is that story though of him like kind of hassling E. Howard Hunt. Have you ever heard that story? Where he's almost kind of shaking him or kind of like, you know, tell me, tell me what happened, tell me what you know. I don't know if you've ever heard that story, but that's interesting. I mean, again, I wouldn't be surprised that you know he would try to ask someone like Hunt, but you know, again, like to this day there are very few people that have that have really been able to lay out the bigger picture so you get hunt's testimony in his deathbed you know about being there and a certain cia phillips was it or someone like david, huh? david atlee phillips yeah william, atlee william harvey was involved in sort of coordinating it but you'll never get the bigger plot you know yeah. you don't understand the mo you know, who's who's really in charge, you know, at the highest levels. Yeah, so I, I saw that, Sean. What uh, what were you doing with Rudy Giuliani, man? That looked pretty cool. Were you with someone from OAN or something? Yeah, yeah, my doing friend. Doing some interviews? Uh, my friend was interviewing him. So, so yeah, you just... Right now. Okay, I mean, I saw you chewing on a cigar, man. You looked pretty official and badass, like you were, like you were directing something, and I was like, oh, man, I wish I could be in that room right now. <laughs> <laughs> But it looked cool. We've we've met we've met Rudy a bunch of times here in New Hampshire when he was running for president. Oh. And uh, 
I mean, yeah, he was he was always nice in person, and I got pictures with him and stuff. And actually, I presented him with an award when I was in college, a First in the Nation Primary Defender Award, because he promised to campaign heavily here and support the New Hampshire primary. So right, there's right. a there's a great video in C-SPAN out there of college college age Eric giving Rudy shaking his hand and giving him a plaque. But, yeah. um, I mean, that's the point, though. It's like fun. you're you're you know you're on a trajectory, and in life, it's almost like people are just taught, you know, to put on the blinders, right? They're just taught, just, you know, just put on the blinders. Don't ask too many questions, right? Just focus, right. just focus on where you want to go. And if you rock the boat, it's going to be bad for you. That's what we're taught. You're you know, out. You're out. <laughs> what we're taught. And every, I mean, look, it's why people are walking around now. Um, yeah, I'll take the, I, I got my vaccine card. I don't want to rock the boat. Just going to follow whatever they tell me, you know, going to need that to travel. I need that to, to eat. It's like human psychology is so malleable. Yeah, it's 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 amazing how easily what they've been able to get away with in the last eighteen months. And to anyone who's paid attention for years, and um, obviously I've seen you're you're working with iconic media now with David Ike, or you're partnering with him in some capacity, or is he going to distribute your documentary? Yeah, well, just best kept secret is available through iconic as one of our outlets. We have uh, three outlets right now, hopefully more. But right now we have Iconic, we have 107 Daily, and we have uh, Vimeo On Demand. Yeah, that's awesome. So I mean, anyone who knows about David Ike, so I know about Ike, my dad had his books on his nightstand when I was a little kid. He had Children of the Matrix and The Truth Will Set You Free. And I remember being, you know, a 10-year-old kid, you always want to see what your dad's reading or, you know, what he's what he's got on his nightstand. And it was these David Icke books. And I was like, who the hell is David Icky? You know? I did too. So, I always thought his name was Icky. <laughs> Icky. So, so I, you know, the, the art on the books kind of lure you in and you're interested in it. So obviously at that age, I couldn't totally be grasped what I was reading or looking at. But my dad just said, look, man, David Icke is a, he's an interesting figure. And he tells a lot of uncomfortable truths that a lot of people are afraid to talk about. So I was very intrigued by that. And obviously I'm not going to like ignore a figure like that. That's caught my dad's attention. So kind of just all growing up and going through school and high school and college, I always had an interest in David Icke. And finally I had an opportunity to see him in New York city um, in the summer of, I think it was 2015. And he was he was speaking in New York City, and I went to one of his ten hour, you know, oh day, day day long marathon, just you know, truth quest. And uh, wow, what an experience that was, man! That was yeah. uh, mind blowing, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, have you been able to hang out with him in person, or do you? Uh, even- yeah. Hold that thought. I'm gonna charge my computer. It's gonna die. Oh yeah. Keep telling me about your, your experience, so I can hear you. Yeah, well, that weekend was surreal because I actually had an interview lined up with Jesse Ventura that Friday at a bar in Brooklyn. I rented a bar out called the Nighthawk Cinema um, in Brooklyn, and I interviewed Ventura for our show for an hour. And then the next day on Saturday, I went to the David Icke, um, you know, David Icke extravaganza in New York City and did the whole day there with him. So it was uh, that was quite a wild weekend. <laughs> I packed a packed a lot in that weekend. And, um, you know, I, I had read a couple of Ike's books leading up to that point, but, uh, to see him in person and get the full multimedia experience was, uh, that was, that was quite a thing to, to have to, to do and see in person. So you said Jesse Ventura was there? 
so he that was separate. So I had lined Jesse up separate of David Icke for an interview for Jackman Radio. And mm. I sat down with Jesse for an hour um, at a bar that I rented in, Bro in Brooklyn. And then the next day was a separate event with David Icke. So that was quite a weekend in New York City. <laughs> a lot of fun. So, cool. so um So Ike, it's funny you mentioned that your dad had him on his book stand. I actually found Ike's book in my dad's library along with William Cooper's book, Behold a Pale Horse. And, okay. and I was like, I was like, what are these books? You know, like, you know, because I, I kind of looked at them and I was like, they're really weird compared to most of the books that are more, you know, traditional right. uh, histories and biographies. Right. And I'm like, this is like, what are these? Like, he's like, ah, oh, they're crazy basically right he's like dismissive of them yeah but um even though he was dismissive of them uh at one level i looked at them and i was just kind of like yeah i don't know what to make of this right it just it was not really i was not i wasn't really understanding like if these people were crazy or not and then i read rule by secrecy by jim mars and i think mars's rule by secrecy because it laid it out in a much more his historical way, the way that he that he introduced the idea of Masons and Templar Knights, and you know he was he was a good journalist in that way, uh, Mars. You know he did some books on the Alien Agenda, I think, as well, Majestic and all that kind of stuff. But he did it in a way that was like credible. You know, it wasn't. And, and I knew Mars because he had written Crossfire, which was one of the bases for JFK the movie. So I was like, okay, this is at least. Like I can comprehend it because you're using like, you know, you're, you're citing sources and you're, you know, you're making your, your arguments that, you know, you're kind of saying like, and you say, this seems more credible than that. So when you have that kind of guidance, I, I think Mars helped me understand. Um, whereas when I was just looking at Cooper stuff later in later years, once I had educated myself enough, I could read it Cooper's without, you know, feeling like I was overwhelmed. I, I actually, so he, I didn't. I, I couldn't get into I am me. I am free. Or what was it? Uh, yeah, I am me. I'm free. I yep. couldn't get into that at the time. It was, it was kind of like didn't really connect to it. But I did pick up the Biggest Secret, and then I started reading the Biggest Secret, and I started reading about the Anunnaki and the you know what he was relate, relating from the Sumerian tradition of uh, you know as interpreted by Sitchin, and it was like a visceral like whoa soul thing. And I just like I got like, on a soul level, I was touched, and I was like, "Oh, this resonates. There's something seriously powerful here to look at." Yeah, opened me up to a lot of my recon reconception of reality. Let's say from that that point forward. So much of what he said has come to pass, or has been like he's ridiculed at the time when he says it, and then years later, he's like, "Mike, back then people didn't want to." Talk to me when I was at the pub. Now I got all these people come up to me yeah. saying they want to have a bite with me because I was dead right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's that's cool to see that. But but it's not just because of that. But he's done he's the work. Just, he's, he's a private research. guy, you know. He's a really private guy too. It's funny, right? He's not someone that necessarily, uh, you know, is in my experience is meeting him. He's not like the most out outgoing. Yeah, person, like, like right? flamboyant, he's, he's, flashy he's, with panache. Yeah, right? he's just kind of he's like a body. You know? he's, yeah. he's sort of like an introvert, I would say. That's funny. My my dad said that too. He's like, even though he knew I was looking at his book stash, he's like, it's kind of crazy, man. But you know, also like check it out. You know, low key. 
I'm cool with you checking it out. So that's funny. Yeah, I mean, I really got more into David Icke when leading up to the Iraq war before and after. And, you know, I had uh, members of my family who were very anti-war and kind of talking about some of the same things that, that Ike was talking about with war and the war machine and, you know, how it's just a for-profit enterprise that monetizes suffering and pain and death all over the world. So I, I never really heard anyone talking in those terms. So that, that, that always fascinated me about him. Right. Yeah. Have you had a chance, Sean, to, to check out the new JFK documentary that um, you're I have. Uh, did you did you work on it at all too, or were you involved in that at all? Or no, no, I, I have nothing to do with it. Um, I hear it's kind of a companion piece to the film Thirty Years Ago, or or well, since the AARB and the, the the releases that have come out, it's shed some light on that. I would pretty much say that's what it is. Yeah, it's it's um, it's it does not going to blow your mind. It's not going to like give you the answer to who did it, but it just it's really I think for my father to feel like he's made his arguments and his points in a documentary way in a bio, you know, in, in a well-cited sourced way that he can feel comfortable, um, sort of putting this, putting this, uh, how do you say, putting this to bed. Yeah. Well, I hope it gets American release in time for the anniversary. I'm, I'm hearing it, it might. That'd so be great. Right. That, yeah. That would be, uh, cause it's definitely not, uh, there's so much information that, that has been released and there's a lot of threads to, to put together and a lot of information, um, you know, like the, one of the things that came out when Trump was president, it may have even come out before was that the uh, mayor of Dallas was a, a CIA asset going back to the late fifties. And that was not disclosed at that time. That would have been some interesting information, uh, to have known. It was Cabell. I think his name was, um, was it Cabell? Earl. Earl? Earl Cabell? Charles Cabell was in the CIA under Dulles, and Earl Cabell was the mayor of Dallas. That's right. That's right. Well, we knew that. But speaking of CIA, I thought it'd be one thing that I wish they'd gotten into was the um, the man who knew too much, wasn't it? The man who knew too much? The, yeah, uh, the, the guy who fired the shot in the bank and got arrested? Yes. Yes, he was a CIA guy, wasn't he? And he fired the shot in Mexico, and he basically wanted to go to prison because he knew what was going to happen. Uh, Nagel, Richard Case Nagel. Nagel, that? yeah. Nagel. That would have yeah. been a cool story to include in this documentary. I don't think it got in there, unfortunately. There's just so much information. And another thread that has always fascinated me is the phone call that Oswald made when he was, before Jack Ruby killed him, um, he called someone from um, Naval Intelligence in the Carolinas uh, in, in Raleigh. And, Interesting. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, there's a ton of research just about that one area. Um, but, uh, to, to go back to your, uh, the new documentary that you have coming out or you've, you've got a one or two parts out. Um, it's a weekly thing, essentially. So it's a, it's a docu-series. So just like any series, we're going to release once a week. So we've got chapter one, chapter yep. two will be this weekend. And then, you know, it's a six week experience, but then once it's out, cool. people can more readily just share it and watch all six, you know, stream it. Like Definitely. Say, uh, what do they call it? Um, uh, and binge it, binge it. Binge oh, it. Binge. yeah, yeah. Exactly. And binge it. We love to binge, yeah. And 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 you mentioned Epstein earlier. Epstein is a uh, is you know is, is the gateway drug for a lot of people coming into this information for the first time. And I think one of the upsides of the last year and a half and and quarantine and people locking quote unquote locking down is they're having to face a lot of information and a lot of stuff that's going on that they wouldn't have looked at otherwise. So. Um, you know, if people aren't familiar with the Franklin scandal, certainly Epstein is an entry point for a lot of people. 
Oh, you're on mute there, Sean. What's the question? I was just waiting for your question. Oh, oh, I was I was going to say, um, do you think that with the trial for Ghislaine Maxwell coming up that she's going to potentially expose some more names to save her own skin? Or what do you think is going to come from that? Oh, I would think so. You know, the problem is we're in, we're in a we're in such a compromised country at this point. Um, it's so difficult to even see past the deep state control. Right. I mean, that's really nothing else. What the Trump presidency proved was how co-opted our system is. Right. So how can you really expect justice from a system that is as corrupt? I don't know. I don't know that what we'll see from this, uh, you know, they'll just they'll actually lead to any indictments of other people or will it just sort of be suppressed under national security or whatever. And another one of your new films uh, called Nightwalk, you're in prison. Uh, wrongfully accused of murdering your wife or girlfriend, I think, and you're in the yard with Mickey Rourke. Um, yeah. what, are, what are some of the themes in your in that new movie that's just come out that you're exploring? Yeah, that that movie was really. Um, I appreciated the story, the idea of wrongful imprisonment. You know, uh, the, the idea of a man who, in my, in the character's case, comes to understand Islam. Uh, his, you know, basically from a place of at first skepticism, but actually understanding the spiritual uh, nature of the religion and the value of it. And so it's a small, it's a very small independent film, you know, but it was, I'd say it was a character that I could, I could feel that it was an opportunity for me as an actor to play many different um, tones, let's say textures, you know, from the love story and uh, courting this girl and and then losing her and being imprisoned wrongfully to then, you know, basically uh, finding rebirth through spirituality. Um, I thought like, you know, again, for an act, from an acting perspective, it just offered me uh, a lot of material to play with, let's say. I like that line too, where, where uh, Mickey looks over and he's like, everybody's new for a minute. <laughs> yeah, Mickey's great. Your minute's up. What was, it like, what was it like working with Mickey? Well, I mean, he's a madman, right? I mean, he's really, uh, uh, he's one of a kind. But have, have you known him going back to when your old man wrote Year of the Dragon? Or when did you, how did you kind of get in with Mickey and get this project going with him? Yeah, I mean, again, it's not like you do projects that way. You know, he, it's, I knew him years ago. We were hanging out in Koreatown with my dad back when I was in high school, you know dinner in Koreatown, that kind of thing, right? Fun, fun times. Oh, that must have been and, awesome. <laughs> uh, he is such a character. So when, you know, when, when I was, I was in the film already and I just connected him with his people, with the director to say, look, make an offer and see, cause it's just the one day kind of role. It's not, he's not a major part of the film. He's a supporting character, but that's how a lot of these movies are made. If you know that they get, you know, Bruce Willis or Mickey or so-and-so come on for a couple of days, pay up, pay them, you know, nice money to, you know, to, to be in the film. And then they use their name for selling foreign territories. I think that model sucks. And I think that model is going to die now. Thank God, because of streaming, you don't need it the same way as you did in the old days. You know, if you wanted to get, if you wanted to sell your movie to Bulgaria and Russia and China and all these different territories, right. You needed a name to sell it. Well, with streaming, you don't need a name anymore, right? You got the, you've already got access to, your audience. So you just got to make the content good or decent. Right. And, uh, anyway, that model is going to shift. So, but the point is that, uh, Mickey was just, you know, he fit the part because he's, uh, 
he's got the tattoos and that attitude. He you know, comes across like he'd be just right in prison. He'd fit, just, he'd fit right in. Did you ever see Animal Factory, directed by Steve Buscemi, where Mickey plays a prisoner called Jan the Actress? And it's a small role, but in my opinion, it's, it's the best in that movie. No, he's, tra- transves- he's a transvestite. Um, in a jail cell with Edward Furlong, but he's the toughest one in there. That's so if, if you haven't seen that one, Sean, that's one of Mickey's under the radar '90s flicks during his uh, winter. That's cool. kind of out in the winter. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't know it. <laughs> Definitely worth checking out. And the wrestler, yep. of course. The wrestler. Yeah. Great film. One of my favorites. So yeah, I mean, obviously, outside of seeing you like for the first time in JFK as a young boy, I kind of got to know more about you and your work through Buzzsaw which yeah. was a, a great interview show that you did. So how did you uh, launch that show? And did you start that with Tabitha or was that just you by yourself? <laughs> Tabitha, no, Tyrell uh, Ventura um, was my co-host on Conspiracy Theory, right? The Jesse that, that's Ventura. right. Oh, we know Ty, we Ty's awesome. That. So we did that together. And so Ty and I, um, basically I was approached by, um, uh, ironically, one of Mel Gibson's kids who was working for this channel called the lip on YouTube. That's right. And, uh, it was, you know, cool little channel. They were like looking for content. So I suggested, uh, Tyrell and I could do something as like a spinoff of conspiracy theory. And so he brought Tabitha as his co-anchor to do news. And I was doing the interviews and that, you know, just got to, I got to explore all the different, uh, esoteric, spiritual, conspiratorial topics I wanted in that time period. I was like, what, 2014 to 2016, yeah. 17, 18 time period, you know, because it got moved over to Gaia. Gaia picked it up. And then and then RT is where Tabitha and Tyrell went to do the news on watching the Hawks with, uh, with me for a right. few Yeah, two of them, uh, the, if I remember correctly, you had the dude who wrote um, Strange in the Canyon, Canyons, uh, McGowan? MKUltra, McGowan. You interviewed McGowan. Um, McGowan, Dave McGowan? Yeah, or he did. He was on the lip about Laurel Canyon. Yeah, about yeah. Laurel he talked Canyon. to somebody. It wasn't me. I would have loved to have interviewed him. And you, uh, you had Chris Christopher Bolin, the nine eleven researcher, on. I did. Yeah, which yeah, was a lot fa- of people. Yeah, yeah, fascinating interview. So yeah, you did some really cool interviews on there, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank I enjoy, you. I enjoyed that. And so, them, and some of them are in the best kept secret docu series. A lot of those interviews, uh, you'll see in the interviews in the best kept secret are from. Um, from my bus sign interviews. Yeah, yeah, some callbacks. That'll be good. Yeah, I piece them together. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so you have um, Best Kept Secret is obviously coming out in, uh, you know, as a series. Um, you know, what else, you know, just had the movie come out with Mickey. What else do you have coming in the, the pipeline right now that you're working on? I don't really talk about what I'm working on. I just say <laughs> watch the Best Kept Secret. That's going to be a six part experience for the next uh, month. And, uh, you know, we got to get the word out. People got to watch it, share it. It's really important to understand, especially in this time period. It's like we can keep talking about the vaccine mandates and the nonsense around the pandemic. But it's it's just as important to understand who's behind this, the psychology of the leaders, the desire, this, I call it the satanic empire of control, mind control, ritual abuse, pedophilia, compromising politicians, blackmail, um, the world, the satanic ideology, that worldview that basically believes that these people, these the beliefs that these people have, um, how they can go about manipulating our reality. I mean, it's, you've got, you've got to follow the series to understand it. And people that are not 
understanding it need to watch this series. This is like the ultimate red pill journey. Yeah, did absolutely. Ever, did you ever get a chance to meet Stanley Kubrick before he passed? No, unfortunately. I, I would I say I know his daughter though. His daughter is cool. Oh, Vivian. Yeah. I would say he had a front row seat or at least insider access with, especially with what he was trying to say in Clockwork Orange and Eyes Wide Shut. All of his films, if you think about it, Lolita was a pedophilia. Right, from, that was from the 50s or 1960 or something like that. It was an early one, right? Yeah, it was, it was uh, Strange Love already. And strange Love was fascinating, you know, talking essentially about the, the mad theory, you know, and the, the insanity of, of that time period as far as some of the generals were concerned and, you know, their attitude. I mean, look, people talk callously about nuclear bombs. Even Bertrand Russell was talking about nuking Russia back then. I mean, it was really crazy if you think about um, the callousness of some of these people in the fifties. And then, uh, and then, yeah, he got into Lolita, you know, he was interested in, in that, exploring that pedophilia, but it was a comedy. I mean, Lolita is like a dark comedy, right? Um, and then, uh, yeah, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Clockwork Orange, certainly, but even 2001, A Space Odyssey is, it's a mind blowing film. It's, you know, originally, it, how do you say, we, we use some of the clips from it later in later chapters of Best Kept Secret because we, we go into the arch archon structure of mind control, which is ancient. This is like ancient Gnostic understandings of these forces, these powers that are, some people would say they're off world, they're based in Saturn. So the Saturnian worship you might've heard of Satan is derived from Saturn, Kronos, the one, the ancient God who swallowed his own children. Oh, what do we have here? Pedophilia and blood drinking of children, right? So the Saturnian uh, model of control of also Saturn is what? Time. So time of like how our, our world is controlled by um, not clocks, but like orientations. The matrix itself is an orientation of energy uh, and how we give our energy basically to man-made constructs, right? So the fact is that 2001, the original Arthur Clarke version had them going beyond Saturn in the journey, right? But they changed it to Jupiter because apparently they couldn't get the rings right when they were doing the modeling for 2001. Now that may or may not be true. Maybe there is another reason why they changed it. But originally it was about Saturn and Oh, gosh, the whole obelisk is basically a Saturnian uh, Saturnian symbol. The cube basically is Saturnian, right? And so you look into the Saturnian cult worship. Uh, people like Jordan Maxwell and many others have talked about this over the years. There's something to this. So I think that when Kubrick was a, you know, he was a mystical person. He had a deep understanding of things, even though he's probably materialist in the way that, you know, people like my father are. But that's also the Jewish tradition of a lot of people that are sort of trying to survive, right? There's a survivor's thing that kicks in, especially for the, from the Jews in this time period, right? Post, post Holocaust. Yeah. The war. Yeah. Um, so there's an, you know, the whole anti-Semitism of, you know, let's say of things that they experienced. So the, the idea of materialism kicks in, but if you really look at like the mystical understandings of someone like Kubrick, I have no doubt that he, he, you know, he, like most great artists, you know, 
Lucas too. I mean, Spielberg too. These guys, they're not fools. They see, they see much more and they tell much more in their stories than most people necessarily realize. So Sean, I wanted to ask you, what, what's your read on Donald Trump? I mean, do, do you feel he's just totally a made man and an actor or there is some real pushback and resistance and opposition to the power elite or is he just one of them and do you think he'll run again? I don't know. I think that he's real. I mean, I don't see that. I don't see him running for office. You know, when you're, you're made, I mean, he, the guy was wealthy. He had a business empire. I don't see why he would need to be president of the United States if he did not have a mission to bring out, I think, some of the best aspects of American, you know, say, spirit. And I think that's what he did. I think he reminded us of, na of a nationalist, patriotic president and what a president could, could symbolize. You know, he was a populist in that regard. So, you know, I don't look at him as an actor, no. I think he's, he's been attacked. Look, if he was an actor, they wouldn't have attacked him the way they did and destroyed him the way they did and continue to attack him the way they are, you know, after his businesses and his accounts and you name it, you know. They're terrified of this guy. Even Jimmy Carter said he he didn't even get attacked that much, and he'd never seen a modern American president hit by the media like that, like exactly. Trump was. Jimmy exactly. Carter even said that. So no, yeah. no one has ever been treated that way. It, that's an agenda. That's a pure agenda. And to kind of round things out, um, I'm watching Spike Lee's new series on HBO about 9/11, and I'm on episode three, uh, which features Willie Rodriguez, you know, the janitor from the North Tower. I'm sure you're familiar with his story. Um, he testified to the 9-11 Commission, you know, behind closed doors. They didn't end up including his testimony. Um, and Spike Lee does feature him in his film. Um, but a lot of the clips that Spike Lee used in the most recent episode where people on the street at 9-11 are like, this was like a movie. This this is just like a movie. This, this feels like a movie. That just shows you, like what you were saying at the beginning of the interview, that the power that film has over perception and how we think about events and how we think about our world. Um, so where do you see that going? I mean, we got Cameron coming out with new Avatar films, which is really what's pushing a transhumanist agenda. Do you think it's kind of heading in that direction where we're just going to leave the meat suit and go into a some kind of 3D Avatar type thing? I don't think it's that simple, but the transhumanist agenda is very real. We get into it in the docuseries. Um, and I think that the vaccine is one of the major gateways for for that agenda yet that's that's something to watch yeah there's a lot of pressure a lot of pressure with that the last year and a half a, a lot of uh all the people who were saying fuck big farmer like oh my god big pharma fuck me you know give it give it to me <laughs> but anyways folks there you have it that's sean stone sean thank you so much for joining us um it, it was a great time we hope to have you on again um, where can people follow your work and support your new documentary, Best Kept Secret? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so Best Kept Secret is on 107daily.com, uh, iconic.com, and it's on video on demand, Vimeo on demand. Um, and people can check me out on seanstone.info, uh, the real seanstone on Instagram. I don't really go to, I wouldn't suggest my YouTube because that gets censored and shut down. But, you know, I post on BitChute and Rumble and all that stuff. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Have a great day.
And be sure to click that subscribe button if you haven't here on Jackman Radio. Check out all of Sean's work, and we'll see you next time.